Welcome to the podcast, The Life Makeover Show. A weekly series of convos with everyday women who experience massive shifts in their lives when they park their egos, guilt, and opinion of others. Please join us, Tina Gesso and Susan Hum, co-founders of Love & Sync Dating Website and Life Makeover Collective, to hear the powerful, moving stories of these strong women. We will have open, unpolished conversations about how they got the clarity they needed to get unstuck in some aspect of their life. So they can take decisive action to make massive improvements in their relationships, career, family, and achieve their dreams. In the convo, not only will we highlight the transformations and shifts experienced by our guests, but we will also highlight the process that got them there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Life Makeover Podcast. And Susan and I are going to be having a very interesting chat today. Say, hey, Susan, how are you doing? I am doing great. How are you, Tina? Excellent, excellent. Do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. Well, you and I have been talking about this a lot because we started Love and Sync in 2018. So we we're thinking, you know what, let's talk about entrepreneurship because you know, it's such an interesting concept and a lot of our clients are trying to go in that area. And as women, it is a challenging thing. So a lot of women, you know, for a lot of women. So we wanted to dive into this one because you and I have very different outlooks on the whole world of entrepreneurship. Yeah, well, absolutely. And we're contrasting in a lot of different areas, right? Which actually contributes to the success of our partnership, I think. But let's just look at entrepreneurship for today. So why don't we start at the beginning? So like, how did you start off when you started off in your work career? How did you view entrepreneurship? Oh, I never wanted to work on my own. I never wanted to have a business. I never even, it wasn't even in my vision to have a business because, you know, I grew up with my father owning a Chinese restaurant. And they worked 360 days a year, you know, and they worked for like every day, 13, 14 hours days. And so they didn't have a life and they just did everything for the business. So I thought, oh, no, that's not, that's great. And I think it started when I was a teenager and they used to force me to work at the restaurant, even worse. So that made it even more miserable. Like, it's okay if I just watch them suffer. But all of us four siblings were dragged into working child labor in a freaking Chinese restaurant. And I hated, like, I hated life. So I think that really is still that awful, awful feeling about, running your own business. You see what I mean? Right, right. And we can't help it, right? Our parents have such a huge impact on us in terms of how we view their careers and whether or not they seem to be enjoying it and doing well with it, right? And uh, in my case, my dad was an electrician and my mom was a teacher and uh, a seamstress. So, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill careers, if you will, but One thing that my dad said to me from a very young age, and that really stuck with me, and I think it kind of became my mantra through my life, and that is I could do anything that I wanted to in life. So I never, you know, imagined any limitations or any ceilings, either because I come from a small country town or either because I'm a woman. I just knew I wanted to go far and my dad was supporting me. So I figured, you know, there were no limitations. So right from the beginning, I was open to, you know, different types of opportunities. So what's kind of interesting is that after finishing university, 
a lot of times we, you know, you want to go and get a job right away, pay off your student loan, buy yourself some goodies and a new car and have some fun. And those are all great things to go towards for sure. But after I finished my degree in business, as well as getting a certificate in French as a second language, I had set up a bunch of interviews and uh, I was, I, you know, we had talked about this. But on my very first interview, I was interviewed for an interesting position in financial services where, you know, I would be helping out Canadians plan for their kids' education. So a cause I was really passionate, really, I really believed in education. And I also had a huge student loan that I was, that I wasn't looking forward to paying back. Uh, So this seemed like a wonderful opportunity to help other students who wouldn't have to go through what I was going through. And what was really important is that there were no limitations in terms of what I could earn. There was no earning limitation. The sky was the limit. I got to do something that was doing good for Canadians. They said, where do I sign up? Right. And I canceled all my other interviews and I just jumped right into it with both feet because I didn't want that ceiling. Right. So I just, I just jumped in. I didn't see anything wrong with doing that. And yeah, that was, and whereas with you, do you want to talk about your first jobs and, and how you got started there? Yeah, actually, you know what? As you were talking, it just dawned on me why you and I are so different. Mm. Because, you know, and I think if we have kids, this is a really important thing to really realize is that if you don't exercise your full freedom at a young age, right. you will exercise it later on. And I think what makes this really different, the origin of it, as you were talking, I'm thinking, I exercised my freedom to the core when I was a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, I steamrolled a lot of people, whatever, but I exercised my freedom, whereas you didn't. Mm-hmm. So you had to exercise it after. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. And I went into structure. I went into companies where I learned how to not be so free. I learned how to work with systems and having that ceiling so that I don't steamroll everybody because I know that I have limitless power, right? So I had to control myself. So I think that is the, the core of where, why you and I are so different because you took on entrepreneurship right away. And I went into sales as well around the same age as you because I went into sales when I was 26, 27, mm-hmm. knowing that I was going to start off at a, with a pay cut of 30%. Because I was making a lot of money just being friends with everybody. And I knew how to influence. I knew how to be needed for a certain, like I knew how to get people business by just being friends with people and bringing them on, right? So I knew how to be a master business developer. But I knew it was also realistic because I don't have any structure to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Right? So I actually took a pay cut of 30%. Because I needed to start off in learning how to sell because I wanted sales as well. I just hated it, right? Because I knew in sales, there's no ceiling, Mm -hmm. which is why I went into sales. But I worked for companies. I sold for them. And I had a, a ceiling in terms of what I get paid because I went into management as well. And I was taught how to manage and how to take on big positions within a firm. So I had to work with a team, with other colleagues and work with them to make to bring success to the company. So it's like I had to collaborate to bring one common success, right? And I think that is what 
help me because I, but I knew I needed that structure. I knew I needed that ceiling because I created a belief that there's no ceiling from a very young age. Mm-hmm. You know what? I wonder how many people out there really do these types of, make these choices instinctually, right? Without even knowing why they're going in that direction. And maybe you were fully aware yourself of why you were making those choices. Whereas for myself, yes, I was coming from a very structured environment, i.e., you know, it was brought up in a strict home and the the business degree that I went through was really grueling. (laughs) It was a five-year program. We had wonderful work terms and things like that, but it was grueling. And I just, you're absolutely right. You know, that's a really good observation. I wanted to be free. (laughs) I wanted to be free of that structure at that point. And I just want, I knew that I was a hard worker. I knew I had a good personality. I knew financial concepts because I had the confidence I had the confidence and I had the enthusiasm because I really believed in it. And it was proven, you know what, you can try things, see how it works, and then decide to either alter your choices or, you know, just step aside of it altogether. But within my first week, I was already breaking records. So I said, geez, I'm really in the right space, right? But if I had gotten other results, then for sure I would have stepped aside because there's one very important piece of this as well is the fact that when I started at this job, or this new career, this entrepreneurial opportunity, I had no money, right? I paid for my license. I had to buy a small car to get to my appointments. And then from there, I had nothing, basically nothing left in the bank. I had one month's rent and enough for a few groceries. So I I had to start making sales right away. And it did happen. If it didn't, the last thing I wanted to do was to call my dad, right, down in Newfoundland, all the way from Montreal and say, Dad, it's not working out like you believed in me and it didn't work. So I could not even face that, that possibility. And when you start in something, that's the thing. When you start in something and you're good at it, it is, you know, you can create your own structure, right? That's something with entrepreneurship that I learned is that if you already have that tendency to create structure where there is none, then that can do really well for you, especially if you're offering something that is near and dear to your heart. And yeah, because at our company, I mean, there was support in the sense that I was offering their product. They did provide some of the materials, but I had to create my own when I decided to move into management, I had to create my own programs, my own training programs, my own systems. And there's nothing like hard experience, like real life experience to help you create those programs so that you can show other people what to do, which you were doing as well, right? Within your own career, as you know, especially that the second one that you had mentioned where you took the cut and you took a risk and you jumped into something that was more entrepreneurial. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't entrepreneurial because I always had a base pay, right? Right. Well, at least I had the base pay. I would not have been able to go into the area of no base pay at all. Mm -hmm. And the the base pays I got were pretty decent, right? So, And so even that, you create a little bit of a ceiling because when you have a base pay, they're not going to pay you that, you know? So there's always a trade-off, but at least I started learning how to be a self-starter how to network in a proper way that generates business. And so the first sales job, it was sort of my springboard to learning how to be an entrepreneur without even knowing it. But I knew I had to go into sales because I knew that was the skill set you need in life, pure as right. right? And I knew that, and well, hold on, I wasn't aware or conscious that I was ever going to be an entrepreneur, but I knew I had a conscious 
thought, because I had said to people, because they said, well, how can you take that big of a cut? You're in Hong Kong. Like, you know, how can you afford it? It's like I said to people, it's something I have to do because I need a transferable skill that will take me to where I want to go. And I didn't know what it was at that time. I'm in my 20s, right? But I knew I had to learn a transferable skill that's structured and that is going to serve me, not just, oh, Susan's friends of everybody, everybody loves Susan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that doesn't work in the real world once you hit 40, because I knew if I hit 40, how about if I lose my looks or lose my skill or lose my pizzazz because I'm so miserable? <laughs> then that's not going to work. So, yeah, so I knew consciously I was doing it for that reason, but I didn't know that I was ever going to be an entrepreneur. I, in my mind, even you know, after getting married and Kevin was watching me successfully network and get business really easily for the companies I worked for. He's like, you should just start your own business because what you're doing now, you can do it for yourself. I'm like, no, never, never, never. No. (laughs) So much for that. (laughs) So here we are right now. I mean, you just mentioned Kevin. And for those that don't know, that's your husband. And he's an amazing support through all of this. And I think we've kind of looked at why we've taken, you know, the path that we have until this point where we have become co-partners and co-founders and starting Love in Sync as well, the dating app, as well as Life Makeover Collective. But at the same time, we've developed the skills. We have our motivations We have our skill sets that we've developed over the years, which is really interesting for anybody that's looking at becoming a career. If you have that background in sales, phenomenal, right? That's a great building block to moving forward. But there's challenges along the way, right? There's challenges along the way. And even though there's a lot of great advantages to being an entrepreneur, i.e. you're your own boss, which... (laughs) Speak to me. I love being my own boss, but it's a different challenge when you're working with a partner. Another advantage, you know, we all know the great advantages of being an entrepreneur. You have freedom, you're working for yourself, there's unlimited earning potential, and you learn so much about yourself. I feel like I really developed into the person that I am today through all of the challenges particularly the challenges that I went through as I was developing my business over the years. What would have been one of your greatest challenges later on, like not when you first started, but later on, like as you went along in your career? Yeah. What's one greatest challenge that you... Really good question. I think there's two things. Number one, when you start off and you're really successful early and you don't see any obstacles, when there are obstacles presented later on, if it's much later on, then it's hard to adjust because you haven't learned how to properly approach an obstacle, if you will, because there were no obstacles when I first started, right? It was just went extremely well. And that's all good. And that's all great. But you, like I mentioned earlier, you learn your greatest lessons when you have those types of challenges. And the second thing is that when you're an entrepreneur, it can really take over every fiber of your being, (laughs) right? Every aspect of your life. And I had an office at home as well as an outside office and you never escape it because it's in your house, right? So I would work when I was single, I was working till 11 o'clock every night. If I didn't have a date or a friend that was dragging me out for fun, or a vacation that was planned, I was working all the time. So it's easy for that to become almost like your passion is almost turning into an addiction at that point. And you're not even cognizant of it, right? Oh, totally. Absolutely. When I was single, I was working in in Singapore and I had a very high position. 
I would go out networking till like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. I'd get back home and I'd be on my computer checking emails and everything. So you're working all the time because there's no other reason. It's insane. So I think that's why I, when I got married, when I met Kevin, I left that career. I completely left the career because that's the reason why I got married (laughs) to get me out of that grind. You can't help it. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why when I became an entrepreneur, one of the things is that I was able to, I knew when it would be grind. You know what I mean? I had a reason. You know, one of the most challenging things about being an entrepreneur is because now you, you are the collateral. You are the product. You are the service. You're not selling on behalf of, let's say, Scotiabank. When I was working for Scotia, I'm not selling for Scotia because I was using the Scotia. And, oh, yeah, you're with Scotia. Oh, yeah, no problems. Or you're with Santa Fe. Oh, yeah, no problems. It's like, okay, so you're selling Susan. You're selling yourself. Right. That is the biggest challenge in entrepreneurship for me, right? Mm-hmm. And so thank goodness I never sold the company. I sold me, my personality. So once you trust me, then I can bring in Tom Dick Harry company. It doesn't really matter. And I think that's what I learned. But that's one of the biggest struggles is that how do you put a value on you? Even when I left the bank and I retired and I went out and I started my own coaching practice, it's like, geez, now I have to put a value on me. How much am I really worth? Am I worth $1,000? Am I worth $50,000? Am I worth $100,000? Great. And I think for a lot of people, and I'll speak about myself as well, but I think for a lot of people, what that may trigger in them are feelings of self-worth, right? Or the imposter syndrome, like, who am I to do this or to offer this service? You know what I mean? So it's really something that you have to come to terms with. And when I was first starting out in financial services, it was hard. The only thing I led with at that time, and you're going to find this one interesting, maybe a little bit funny, but what I led with when I was selling at the beginning was my heart, right? Because I said, I'm here for your kids, you know? And even now that kind of brings a tear to my eyes because it was true. And yeah, so I led with my heart all the time. And then as time went on, you, you accumulate, you get the experience, right? I've been this many years in the business. I've helped this many families. We've given out this amount of funds. So, you know, it was, and I'm there for you, right? And my clients, and at the end, I was enrolling second and third generations into the plan, right? So that's, that's continuity because they knew they could rely on me because I was always there for them. And that's huge in business, right, is, is your level of service and your level of commitment to your clients. And I think when you go about whatever entrepreneurial opportunity that you have and you come at it from your heart and you know your deep down motivation while you're doing it and you don't hesitate to talk about that, people will connect with you right? People will connect with you and it's easier then. Then it helps you get out of the imposter syndrome or feeling like, you know, or dealing with issues of self-worth. Yeah. I think that's the thing. You nailed it right there. You know, it's another level. I always say self-mastery work. It starts with when you're single, when you're alone, when you're running a business, whatever it is, there's a level of self-mastery you have to go through to discover who you are and what you're made of. Then my second level of self-mastery was getting married. That's like a freaking business in itself. So to coexist with one another, that's another level of self-mastery. And then my third level of self-mastery came when I became an entrepreneur. 
mm-hmm. when I started selling myself and I am the product, I am the service. So that's where I had to really show myself what I'm really made of now without hiding behind a brand name, mm-hmm. you know? And so at this point, I mean, entrepreneurship, it really is taking yourself to the highest levels. What are you really made of, you know? And what you're really made of is like you said, you know, one of the lessons that you have learned is to not turn away from obstacles to be able to really see why they're even in front of you. Because as an entrepreneur, we're told, be a pit bull, just go for the carrot. Don't notice anything else around you. Just go. And I would do that when Kevin and I are hiking and I'm like a pit bull on the mountain. I'm like, I only see the top. And I'm like, whoosh, like I'm missing all the deer. Oh, did you see this chipmunk? Oh, did you see? No, didn't see a thing. Don't cut my time. (laughs) He's like, can you just slow down? Just slow down and smell the grass. Grass? You mean this grass? (laughs) So, yeah, that's the part, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you should say this because I was always going for the revenues. I always had an increase every year on my sales goals. And I was always going for the awards. I was always going for the contests. I was always trying to win everything. And when you're so hyper-focused like that, you don't see people around you as much as maybe you should. I mean, I was married for seven years and it was at the peak of my career And I could say that I was probably, it was easier for me to deal with my job and any obstacles or any problems there than it was for me to deal with the marriage because I was so used to calling all the shots in my business. And when you're in a marriage, it's two people calling the shots, right? And if I didn't agree with what was going on in the marriage, I would focus more on the business because I had control there and I seemingly did not have control, at least with the skill set I had for relationships at the time, because I wasn't really looking at it. So it's really important as an entrepreneur that you bring that level of self-awareness. I can say that now in retrospect, right? It's been 11 years since my divorce, but I can say that now in retrospect that if you really want to live entrepreneurship to the fullest, to the idea of freedom and not just financial freedom, but emotional freedom as well, that you have to bring that to all aspects of your life, not just to the business, but particularly to your personal relationships, whether it's your partner, whether it's, you know, your business partner or your life partner, right? And not, and see that when you're veering too much in one direction to know that you have things and challenges that are worth facing that you need facing if you want to move up, keep moving up that level in a balanced way. That's why it's applying your life strategies to everything across the board. It's life strategies we work with, right? And that will always keep you in check to keep you balanced. Otherwise, if we don't see what's holding us back, for me, I know what's holding me back is, is the moment one of the pillars in life starts going down, then everything else will stop in my subconscious to stop everything from going so that I stop and look at what's really going on so that I don't miss it. But a lot of people don't do that. And then you wonder why the grind is happening. You see what I mean? So, you know, and, you know, most people don't know how to struggle. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, there's a method. (laughs) Yes, there is a method because 
even dissecting the word struggle, what does it even mean, right? And just understanding the nuance of what struggle is versus what perseverance is, because perseverance should never be struggle. Those are two contrarian things. Yes. And it, I think actually, even though they're contrarian, for a lot of people, there's a fine line. Like, how do you recognize whether you're struggling or you're persevering? Yeah, it's by the feeling. And also the feeling tied to what is it that I really want? And why do I want it? Right? Do I want to win because it validates me? Or do I want to win because I believe I deserve it? Mm-hmm. You see, it goes, so that's why, I mean, for me, I killed the race and the win a long time ago. Me is more like a pit bull because I know that I can get whatever I want. But to win, you know, the other day I had a really interesting conversation with the smartest guy I know. Well, the guy's my twin nephews. So I had a conversation with a (laughs) six-year-old. Because I hurt his feelings and he went upstairs, he was crying. And my sister goes, you hurt his feelings. I said, oh, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to apologize. Because he had asked me to stop and I didn't. Mm Because I was teasing him. And so when he went upstairs and I said, you know, Auntie Sue's not perfect, right? I know. And he goes, you don't, no one needs to be, and he's a perfection. Like he gets hard on himself. He'll cry to the point where he'll throw up. Like that's how much he feels. So he's hard on himself. So my sister and the greatest parents in life, I mean, honestly, they teach him that it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be right. So they constantly teach him that from he when he was a baby. Great. That's really. Yeah. And then he forgave me, you know, and then he was doing his letters in block letters. He was writing it out like a hundred times or whatever. Right. And I said, Oh, Jude, you missed out on that. He goes, Auntie Sue, it doesn't have to be perfect. (laughs) There's assimilation and integration for you. I don't have to be right all the time. I'm like, you're right. Oh my God. And not picking out his little imperfections, you know? And I'm thinking, geez. You know what? This can start from a very young age. Right. Really, it can start from a very young age. And there's no reason that we can't have these types of conversations with our kids from a young age. I mean, one thing that my dad said to me once influenced me for the rest of my life. I mean, you never know what will stick with the kids. And especially, it's especially gratifying when, just like with your nephew, you see them actually integrating it and giving it back to you. Yes. And it's because I think for Randy and Lorraine, the parents they are so focused on making sure that they do the opposite of what they're seeing their child becoming. So they just keep repeating those words. It's not going to change Drew from being the emotional feeler or the perfectionist or whatever, hard on himself, but it certainly will give that balance. And I think for us, we have to have that balance of knowing when we're pushing ourselves too hard and when we're struggling, because in reality, in the world of personal development, everything comes with ease. And grace. Mm-hmm. Everything comes with ease and grace. If it doesn't, it's time to stop and reevaluate and make a decision to let it go and move and pivot, right? It's the pivoting that people don't go for. Right. So, you know, there's another moment in one's career where you can start to grind as well in your career, in your business as an entrepreneur. And that is when you put an intention out there that you're not feeling it anymore, that it, maybe it's time to move on. And 
you know, we all can be powerful manifestors. And for me, when I put it out there five years before I actually made the decision to leave my company, things started to go downhill. It was already becoming a grind. And that was one of the reasons I was looking at doing something outside. And also, I think when you've done only one thing, like you've done many different things in your career when you were younger, and it was amazing. And it was a great progression. But for me, I went to one job interview after graduating university and stayed there for 32 years. So I knew I wanted to do more than one thing and it was becoming a grind. So I said, okay, so let's do something about it. But it took me five years from the time that I put out that intention before I actually left. So even though you may, like I have, I believe, an entrepreneurial spirit, still I was so entrenched. My identity was so flowing around this career that it was really difficult for me to extricate myself. So that's another thing about entrepreneurship. If you really like bite it off a hundred percent, then sometimes you can, you had just had to be aware that your whole identity may be attached to that business. So just, you know, be careful of that as well. And Obviously, the signs were there because, number one, I started so long and stayed there for so long. And also that it took me five years to leave. I could have left at, at any particular time after that. Well, the grind was like 500 times harder. And like exactly. after you stated it, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you were a witness to that, right? I mean, the business was already becoming a grind. Then all of a sudden, my best age reps started leaving. I had a couple of really great reps that, you know, they were re-arriving at a certain age, but they passed away. And then our head office was doing things that were kind of crazy. So those were all signs, right? So pay it to be aware and to be aware of the signs. Oh my God. And it really worked out well at the end, how I left and that things came in a good way that I was able to Things became aligned because my mindset was there. I was really ready at that point. And knowing that we were moving into love and sync at that point made the motivation there because if I wasn't leaving there, you were gone. (laughs) You were off on the the love and sync love train. (laughs) There's no way that was going to happen just for yourself, especially since it was a brainchild of both of us, right? And it really represented the spirit of both of us. So here we are, and we're in a partnership as an entrepreneurial opportunity, right? Yes. You know, and that's the thing. I think what helped me with the partnership is because when I've gone through the marriage route already, it was not a grind for me. It was a challenge, but it wasn't a grind because I had the stra- I knew why, and I had the strategy. So when you have a strategy, it's no longer a grind. It's perseverance. Mm-hmm. So that's the only last thing I want to leave with everybody is that you want to know the difference between grind and struggle? Sorry, the struggle or the perseverance is when you're persevering, you know at which point to respond. You already anticipated that grind. So when the grind comes up, you know exactly how to respond. Right. Because there's only one strategy in one direction. So I think just having strategy, and I think that's another podcast in itself, right? For me, my strategy was to allow and accept things as they are so that I allow them to come in and I evaluate without emotion with the ultimate goal of achieving a certain revenue amount in my head, Mm -hmm. right? But when you're working in partnership, it has to be combined and common, right? But you can't, that's the thing why partnerships are so hard, right? Because it's like, 
well, your purpose and your strategy has to be the same as the other. Otherwise, <laughs> so, but when you're an entrepreneur on your own, that's all it takes. Know exactly where you want to go, why you want it. And then the strategy is allow and accept without judgment. Absolutely. And if you bring a good level of community, I wouldn't add anything else to that other than to say, allowing open communication, right? And knowing not to take things personally, because ultimately, if your goal is to make a success of your business, you can't take it personal because it's not personal. you got to be very open and be prepared to do what you need to do in order to move it forward. And knowing that you don't have all the answers, right? And be willing to be humble. Humble is really important. And man, that ego, especially when you've been a success in life up till, you know, this point, the ego can be something to be aware of, that's for sure. And uh, that's been a huge lesson for me as well, letting go of the ego. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think you and I could share one common skill that we both have is no never means a no. Right. Like, you know, the classic sales thing. It's like when you're a successful entrepreneur. No. Did you say no? I don't think I heard no. <laughs> you got to ask at least five times. Yeah. And you know what? That if that person doesn't hear you, it's like universe. Did I hear no? No, I didn't hear no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that we have to do as entrepreneurs is that don't let the no stop you from your dream. Where there's a no, there's a yes somewhere else, whether it's with that person or the next person after. Absolutely. And I believe that no's are really guideposts, right? To help, you know, gently bump you in other directions. And maybe there's lessons along the way as well. So don't forgo the lesson as you move along. So this has been really great. And even though we've been friends for 14 years and business partners for the last couple of years, I believe this conversation, it feels new and it feels fresh and it's, a conversation that we actually haven't had off the record, right? So I thought, I think this is really good. And I think we're having our own little aha moments as we were going through this. And I certainly hope that everybody was listening, was having some great little aha moments as well. And to have, to be able to look at, you know, the whole field of entrepreneurship from a different, like from an insider's point of view. Yeah. How do you exactly. think you use this? Any last comments? No, I think, you know what, just keep, going for whatever if you become an entrepreneur you know why you're doing it just know your why and have a vision of exactly where you want to go and allow for those lessons to come because it is learning of course it is beautiful so thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time bye-bye Bye, guys thanks for listening to this week's episode of the life makeover podcast if you enjoyed what you heard today please share it with a friend And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. We really value your opinion. So please feel free to send us your questions, comments, or feedback. You can find out more about Tina Gesso and Susan Hum and the Life Makeover Show podcast at www.lifemakeovercollective.com. Thanks for listening.